we'll um, this evening we're going to be exploring the theme of the third noble truth, the end of suffering, what the Buddha called in the Pali language nibbana, nibbana, in more familiarly known in Sanskrit as nirvana, the name of many a, a restaurant and a rock and roll band or whatever you call them, grunge band, would you say? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, we'll be looking at the, the end of suffering today and the next, uh, next week we'll be exploring the path to the end of suffering. You know, it's kind of a reverse to the way we would typically look at things of like, okay, the progress, you know, you go to the path and then you get to the end, but the Buddha points to the end and then, you know, what are, what are the ways that we get there? And uh, so what we'll be doing this evening, we'll have pretty much the format we've had the last couple of weeks, which is uh, we'll begin with, after a little few introductory words, we'll, we'll begin with a meditation to help us kind of settle in and just notice what's present for us and actually practice what we're, what we're preaching, as it were. Um, so we'll, we'll have a 20 minute or so meditation. Then uh, we'll have a talk for the evening, which where I'll do a, a kind of a brief summary and, uh, and then kind of the new material for, um, for this evening around the, around the third noble truth. Then we'll um, have um, the opportunity to break into uh, small groups again, groups of four, and then we'll come back into the full group. If there's time, we'll have questions or sharing. And then we'll finish with um, the at-home practices for, for the week. So please, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Thank you, Sam. Nirvana was a great band, but rather notoriously didn't find the end of suffering. Very good. Noticing how often the second arrow gets thrown, finding myself shocked at how st stuck I am in suffering. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. Yeah, it can be, you know, there's something, um, you know, it, it can, we can experience when we first practice, practice mindfulness, say, or we first kind of dig into an investigation, particularly this one around suffering, that the more we shine the spotlight on the suffering, the more we become aware of the suffering, you know, that we can, oh, I didn't know, because we have so many ways of covering things over, don't we, of kind of avoiding it. I don't want to look there. You know, we have our cookies and we have our small and our larger ways of avoiding things. So, you know, those in some ways keep us from being able to see our suffering more clearly. So in a way, what we're doing is we're clearing things out of the way and then we're saying, oh, this is what's going on here. So, you know, certainly not to be discouraged by that. And in fact, perhaps even to be encouraged by it, that we're you know, kind of, we're bringing something to the surface that may, you know, using a different metaphor, but that, you know, may have been submerged for a, for a long time. So. It's a really good observation and uh, an important one. So, oh, I, I want to mention um, what I shared with you in case anyone missed the um, email <clears throat> we sent out this um, the last end of last week. Because of the nature of the class, um, because it's you know quite large, um, 
you know, we didn't quite know how many people we'd get, you know, we didn't know if it'd be 30 or 100, and it was nearer the latter than the former. So it, we lose something in intimacy, um, you know, even though we do the small group sharing, we don't, it's not so easy to do that in, a, in the whole group, you know, without have, making the four hour class each, each session. So what I'm um, offering, if folks are available um, are interested and available, is um, the week after the last class to um, to have a an optional seventh class, which is which would give us the opportunity for more of the kind of informal exploration. It wouldn't have an agenda apart from maybe a meditation. It wouldn't have a, a set talk, but would be just like, what's coming up? What did you notice? What's challenging? You know, what questions come up? So that's there. And, uh, you know, let me know if you're interested in, as long as there's, a you know, some critical mass, then we'll, we'll do that because I'm happy to do it. And Glenn's also said he's um, available. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I want to mention, and I mentioned in the uh, in the mailing, in the email, is that I'm wanting to continue this, you know, this core teachings, these core teachings, with an exploration in the fall of the Noble Eightfold Path, which, as you know, is the fourth of the Noble Truths, which we'll be exploring next week. But obviously next week, we're not going to be able to do a very deep dive into the eight elements of the path. And they really, you know, you could spend a year doing the Eightfold Path, and that would be a very helpful way of spending a year. Um, but we'll, we'll, the idea is to do it over eight weeks and, you know, give an average of a week for each of the, uh, each of the elements of the path. And the dates for that are September 20th to November 8th. And uh, they're all Monday, all Monday evenings as well, and um, probably the same time, seven fifteen to to nine, a little bit more than half an hour. So we kind of we we're less squeezed for time. So let me know. Um, let me know if um, if you're if you're interested, um, but you don't have to. You can kind of give yourself time to think about it after after the course is finished. So I wanted to mention um, mention those two things, kind of save the dates, and um, if there isn't anything immediate, and please share anything you uh, you'd like to in uh, in the chat. Um, but we'll we'll begin with we'll continue with a, a period of meditation. And just as a kind of an introductory couple of words to the meditation. The practices, you know, the the, the way we practice mindfulness meditation, particularly the way we pay attention to our attitude towards our experience in meditation. You know, often talk about cultivating kindness and acceptance, non-judgment, kind of bringing a, you know, receptive awareness or compassionate curiosity to our experience. In that way, we're really practicing the fourth noble truth, you know, the path to the end of suffering. And through that practice, 
of opening and letting go, you know, the practice of acceptance of our present moment experience, we may find that it leads us to the third noble truth of letting go, of, of letting go of craving, you know, letting go a little, not necessarily the final end of suffering, but, but finding some freedom, you know, perhaps noticing where we're tight and we're disliking something, you know, wanting something to be different. And then we find some space and we open up and we just allow the moment to be as it is to come and go. And in that moment, we find some freedom. And it points to the larger freedom that's, that's uh, possible, that's available to us. So just wanted to share that, you know, kind of it's very much embedded in the practice, as you likely know, but just to make that explicit. So just beginning by finding a posture that's relaxed, comfortable, at ease. I often come back to Martha Postlethwaite's poem of The Clearing, where she says, don't try to save the whole world or do anything grandiose. Instead, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life. You know, this sense of creating a space, consciously creating a space of just being, being with our experience. Just waiting for whatever whatever arises out of the stillness, out of the silence, out of the, the qualities we bring to our experience. So you might let your eyes close if that's comfortable and allow your attention to come inward. Noticing what's present, maybe noticing what's going on in your in your head right now. And you could invite your attention down out of the head, down into the body. Feeling your body in contact with the surface beneath you. Your feet touching the floor, whatever they're in contact with. Your buttocks, your thighs, contacting the chair or whatever you're sitting on feeling the weight of your body pressing down. You might do a brief scan of the body, see if there's any obvious areas of clinging or contracting or tensing up. And you could invite that area to relax. You might pay particular attention to your eyes. You know, notice if they're tensely focused, even if they're closed. <clears throat> Invite the eyes to relax, facial muscles, the mouth, the tongue. The shoulders. The chest and the belly, we often contract, tighten up, tense up our muscles if we're stressed or busy or anxious. So just inviting the torso to relax, letting the breath come into a relaxed, open belly. And as a way of relaxing a little bit more, you might 
allow your breath to deepen. Take a few longer, deeper breaths. Filling the lungs, filling the chest, filling the body with the breath and releasing, letting go on the out breath. Breathing in, calming the body. Breathing out, calming the mind. And letting the breath settle back into its natural rhythm whenever you're ready. Knowing as well that you can come back and take a few deeper breaths if you find yourself tense or stressed. Just to invite the breath to deepen, relax, and it can re-arrive. Be here again. Other practices can, can help us to arrive and settle. Just a simple hand on the heart, maybe a hand on the belly. Can connect us with, with ourselves, our life, this moment. A smile can, consciously inviting a smile can help us relax the, the brain and the, the nervous system, We're sending a message of ease and well-being to ourselves. If we're caught up in focusing on what's wrong or what we don't have or what we lack it can be helpful to shift the attention towards gratitude just thinking of a few things that you're grateful for it's a wonderful way to shift out of not enough mode you know, our things are wrong mode to just what's right, what, what's all already here that we might not be paying attention to. And inviting a receptive awareness to whatever is present right now. <clears throat> making space for whatever is here 
whatever bodily feelings are present. Whatever emotions or mind states are here. Whatever's going on in, in the mind, in the thoughts. See if you can just make space for what's here. So what happens if you say yes to what's here, even if it's difficult or unpleasant, not what you were looking for or expecting? See if you can say yes. In Rumi's words, welcome the guests. He says, the dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Noticing what's present and making space for it, whatever's here. Can you notice a difference between resisting an experience and accepting it? How does it feel different, if at all? How is it to say yes to what's present, what's here right now?
And if it's helpful, you can let your attention focus on your breathing as a way of grounding your awareness, particularly if the mind is very busy and active. It's helpful to have a, an object, a focus for attention. And the breath is always available for us. And can be a place to rest attention, to come back to. And at times a, a way of really calming the body and deepening our attention, our awareness. Dorothy Hunt says, peace is this moment without judgment, this moment in the heart space where everything that is, is welcome. So can this be a moment of peace, no matter what is here right now? If everything is welcome. Can tiredness, drowsiness, sleepiness, can that be welcome? We can invite energy into the body, maybe take some deeper breaths, open our eyes if we're tired, but not, not resisting just recognizing what's present, allowing it. And if it's helpful, we can incline the mind towards wakefulness without resisting anything. If the mind is busy and caught up in a lot of thinking, can that be met with kindness and acceptance too? With just uh, the intention of coming back and coming back with kindness.
our attitude towards our experience has a lot to do with suffering and the end of suffering. If we meet what might be a difficult emotion with acceptance and with kindness, we might notice it, it changes. You know, the emotion isn't as painful or as sticky as was before. Maybe it goes. Maybe it's transformed completely by, by the way we meet our experience. So this is something we can explore in our practice. How the way we meet our experience helps transform our experience. Helps alleviate or end the suffering. finish with this poem called The Way It Is by Lynn Unger. One morning you might wake up to realize that the knot in your stomach had loosened itself and slipped away and that the pit of unfilled longing in your heart had gradually and without your really noticing been filled in, patched like a pothole, not quite the same as it was but good enough. And in that moment, it might occur to you that your life, though not the way you planned it, and maybe not even entirely the way you wanted it, is nonetheless persistently, abundantly, miraculously, exactly what it is.
So take your time coming back. What I'd like to do um, to begin with is just to share some reflections coming out of the, the first three weeks. Um, and, then, and then get into the, the substance of this evening. One of the, one of the core you know, one of the main things I would like to get out of this course is I'd like you, you as many of you as possible um, to be able to really see the way in which, and you may already do this, but see the way in which these teachings can be like a key to unlock suffering in, in your life, in our lives, you know. I mean, I, I use that metaphor because um, for me, it really works. Um, I did a talk on a Sunday, a couple of Sundays ago, you know, thinking about that, that metaphor. And in a way, it seems more important to me that, you know, that we really get the possibility of this, the Buddha's framework, his, his you know, his way of looking at suffering and the end of suffering as something that we can apply directly to our lives you know so if we if we inveterately get into conflicts with our partner or spouse or children or whatever and you know we notice that and we can we can ask ourselves is is there suffering in this and you know typically we'll unless we're in denial we'll say yeah there's suffering it's not fun to be doing this and yet we can get you know we all know this just that, using that as an example we all get sucked in you know in in different ways to different things but we get pulled in we get we get hooked you know it might be the political situation you know of how much we dislike people who don't wear masks or wear masks or you know don't you know don't think the way we do don't believe the way we we do um and you know the t tightness and the tension around that that you know that very much i think comes under that rubric of of suffering unpleasantness unsatisfactoriness and then that key question you know what is my role in this suffering because that's really where you know, the core of, of these teachings, I think, is, you know, that I use the word um, in last week, I think, or the week before, last week, I think, uh, that we're implicated in the, in, in the, in our suffering. And I'm kind of a, a bit dubious about the word because I think it can carry with it a kind of a notion of blame, you know, contributory negligence as it were that we're bringing our own peace into this um, I don't want to put it say it like that but I do want to say it that we're that we're involved in our suffering you know that we're that our relationship to it is 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 what's contributing to it that if we had a 
completely, you know, as I was saying in the meditation, really, if we had a completely spacious relationship to this person, this situation that I'm having, you know, was in a conflict with somebody about, then there wouldn't be the suffering there. You know, we might still have a difference of opinion, but it wouldn't be that that unsatisfactoriness, you know, that that um, that w- that we talk about as suffering. I um, you know, I I, I wrote a, a book at least a little while a year I came out of it a year ago, um, and and I I um, I use the example of somebody I'd worked with you know, work together one-on-one with and in groups. And she gave obviously permission to share her story, but she, you know, I'll just read you this couple of paragraphs. I once worked with a woman, Lisa, who had recently left an abusive marriage. She shared with me how she had internalized voices of self-criticism and blame over many years and came to believe that these stories were the truth. So she'd internalized these voices. She'd been in in intense fear and anxiety toward the end of her marriage, thanks to her partner's name calling, criticism, simmering anger and explosive rage. Lisa would justify his behavior and blame herself for the abuse, thinking that she needed to be better so that she could quote, save him. The trauma lasted even after Lisa finally left. She trusted very few people and the criticisms he leveled at her continued to play over and over in her mind, producing feelings of worthlessness, sadness, resentment, anger, and regret that she couldn't get rid of. It wasn't until Lisa began learning and recognizing that she had a choice in how she responded to painful thoughts, that she could respond with compassion and kindness that she began to really recover. Gradually, she said, I stopped believing the lies, the doubt and the fear that held me in this cramped, closed up little space. I learned to feel my feelings rather than shut them down, bottle them up or try to escape them. I brought awareness to the spiraling ruminative stories I'd internalized over the years from the abuse and saw that they were stories, they weren't the truth. Releasing the regrets and forgiving myself gave closure to my suffering. I came to see that there was so much more than the stories I'd come to believe. There's abundance, joy, peace. And I never in my wildest dreams believed I'd feel peace and joy again. But now these feelings are available to me. And I just use that as an example, because clearly, you know, she wasn't, quote, to blame for her, her situation, for the suffering. But there was a way in which she was responding that um, that helped to, you know, helped her to keep her locked in the suffering, you know, and helped her or, or in some ways maybe even prevented her taking the steps to get out earlier from the from the abusive relationship. So but that when she saw that, when she saw that what her piece was of this, she was able to see, OK, I can get out. And then afterwards, even more to see. Um, that she could let go of these un, untrue beliefs that that she'd actually kind of, you know, she'd convinced herself of or become convinced of in that, you know, in that abusive relationship. So um, what I'm wanting to say really is that in any situation where we're experiencing suffering, we can use these teachings. We can ask ourselves, what is my role? What role am I playing in this? 
You know, the Buddha talked about its craving. You know, what am I holding on to? What am I resisting? What am I avoiding? And then, you know, what, what, what happens if I change my relationship to this? If I open, if I bring acceptance and kindness rather than fighting with it or holding on to it? And what are the skillful means? What, are, what is the path towards the end of suffering? What practices, what skills can help take me here, take me towards alleviating or ending suffering? So for me, this really is a key. Whenever I get caught up in suffering, I can. I don't always do it immediately, but I can say, okay, what is my role in this? What am I bringing into this conflict that I'm wanting things to be a certain way. And how can I let go? You know, can I, can I make space for, you know, for how I'm feeling? Can I bring understanding to where the other person is coming from in that situation? That, that there's always the possibility of untangling ourselves, not that it's gonna be easy, or not even that it's necessarily gonna be available to us. Because if our, if our fears are overwhelming, even if we have some awareness, the, the fear may overwhelm the awareness. And so it may not be at a particular moment available to us to kind of get ourselves out of suffering. But with training, the Buddha says, with training the mind, that's why this training is so important. We can make the awareness bigger than the fear, if you like, you know, that, so that even if the fear is, is large, there can be enough awareness to hold it all. I like to come back to this image of awareness as like big enough to, to hold everything, even intense fear, even, even panic. I worked with somebody else in a, you know, in mindfulness-based stress reduction who was had practiced enough that she she experienced one time um, having a, a panic attack but she was able to bring awareness to the feelings of panic arising in the body. And the awareness could be large enough to be able to kind of go with that without, you know, freaking out and, you know, doing what one might normally do in a panic attack. So this, this idea of bringing these, these teachings into our lives and investigating our lives and ultimately untangling ourselves from, from, from our suffering so the question, how have you experienced this in your practice? Is this framework, um, this way of looking at your experience, is it helpful to you? Is it something that is, you know, you're gaining more insight into through practice? Um, so just a few other things, suffering, you know, this dukkha, um, this sense of unsatisfactoriness that manifests as resistance or clinging, aversion or avoidance. We can see suffering as the gap between what is and how we'd like things to be. You know, we want things to be a certain way, but they're a different way. And in that gap, there's suffering. Can we close the gap? Can we let go of that, of, of that wanting things to be different than they are? So we can see craving as a, contract as, as a contracted afflictive state of mind you know we spoke last week about the difference between um, clinging and desire is is all desire clinging you know and we talked last week about it doesn't have to be clinging desire is the problem isn't the desire it's when we cling to the desire 
So wanting something, there's nothing wrong with wanting something. Wanting, you know, me wanting um, this class to go, you know, to go well, to be of help to people. That's, that's a desire. Um, hopefully it's a wholesome desire. Um, you know, but like anything, if, if, if a desire isn't cultivated with awareness, it can become, it can get clinging attached to it. You know, I can start getting fearful of, well, what if, what if it isn't going well, you know, and then I can turn, turn it into stories about things. So there's always the possibility without awareness of, of, of clinging to arise. I even, we spoke as well of clinging to spiritual development you know, clinging to enlightenment of like wanting to get there, you know, and that's, you know, if somebody were to do that, they would be far from the first to do it, you know, that, yeah, it, we can, we can get, you know, some way we can get fired up, we can get passionate about, about waking up, but if we're not aware, we'll, we'll, we can bring in, how am I doing compared with this person here? I've been practicing longer than them and they seem to be really, you know, doing well and really get, you know, so we get into comparing minds. So we can add, we can, without awareness, we can get into clinging to really to anything. And it's the clinging and the craving that we really need to pay attention to. If it's skillful, wise desire, you know, then I, then it isn't, um, it, it doesn't, it won't, it won't turn into uh, it won't manifest as suffering unless, you know, unless lack of awareness comes in or some clinging comes in in some way or another. I spoke about craving being rooted in ignorance, not seeing things as they really are. So when you're caught up in suffering, when you're holding on to something, what is it that you're not seeing clearly? You know, if you're you know, if you're in, a, in an argument with somebody and you're really like, I'm right about this, what are you clinging to? Well, you're clinging to your view, your belief, you know, you're clinging to your desire to convince the other person or to have them stop bothering you with their contradictory viewpoints or whatever. You're, you're clinging, you're holding on. So what are you holding on to? What, what's the... What's the, what is it you're not seeing clearly then? <clears throat> I think what we're not seeing clearly in that kind of situation is that clinging to this view and this belief is not a way to happiness. It's not a way to well-being. It's not a way to freedom. You know, it's just going to lead to more clinging. You know, the more we fuel this righteousness, Think of it in the political realm, you know, oh, we're, we're right, oh, they're terrible, you know, that clinging in that way. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't lead, lead us to freedom, at least that's not my experience. And it leads us to more, more clinging, more holding on, more of a sense of separation. You know, we're right, they're wrong, you know, and division and all the suffering that comes out of that. I spoke last week about this, uh, the tripod of craving, self, and suffering. You know, that when we have one, we have the others. When there's craving, we will experience, at least in my, this is what I've seen, we will experience um, a sense of a separate self coming out. There's an I that wants it. When I'm in that argument with somebody, there's a me that's separate from this person that's, 
being a pain in the butt, you know, and, and so that sense of separation is there. So the more craving, the more self, the more suffering. And we can take any of those and we can find the other two. And again, this is something to explore in, in your own experience. When you notice you're caught up in craving, what, what is the sense of self there? Is there a sense of separation between yourself and others, yourself and the world? You know, is there something, a self to be protected and, and, and defended? Um, <clears throat> so, Looking, what I'd like to do now is to share a few a few slides for this week and um, move into this third noble truth, the end of suffering, nibbana or nirvana. Um, there we go. There we go. Everyone can see that. The third noble truth, the end of suffering. See if I'm right. Yeah. So last week we explored the origin of suffer, suffering. We suffer when we crave what we want, or we want to we we get rid of to get rid of what we don't want, or to become some something, or to become someone to, you know, to um, to be somebody or to. You know, to get somewhere, to end what's unpleasant. So we can see craving as an unskillful relationship with our experience. It's rooted in ignorance or delusion, not seeing things the way they really are. And so we, it leads us to seek happiness, to seek joy, to seek peace and happiness, freedom, where they can't be found. So if we want to get happiness through, you know, getting, you know, another drink or another, you know, hit of a, of a, of a drug or, you know, craving a, a relationship, um, we're seeking happiness in ways that can't actually bring us, bring us happiness. Because whenever there's the craving, there's, we're actually going to be fueling that suffering we're going to be fueling suffering by that unwholesome relationship, by that wanting, you know, which is very different, as I said, to a more skillful desire, you know, that isn't colored by, by craving. So if suffering has its origin in craving, in this unskillful experience, a relationship with our experience, where is the end of suffering to be found? So the Buddha said the third noble truth points to the possibility of ending suffering. The Buddha said there is an end to suffering. The end to suffering he called Nibbana or Nirvana. Um, and this third noble truth, I said that there's a task attached to each of the four noble truths. And the third noble truth the cessation of suffering is to be realized. It's something to be um, achieved without any sense of achievement. It's to be, um, to realize the end of suffering. And the root of the word, sorry, I spelled Nibbana, there should be two Bs and one N. The root of Nibbana has a, um, forms meaning 
to cool, to quench, to extinguish. So what's cooled and quenched and extinguished are the fires of greed, hatred and delusion. That, that's what's quenched um, through, um, through ending suffering. In one of the Buddha's best known teachings, it's actually one I think that uh, T.S. Eliot speaks about in the, in the, the wasteland, I, if I recall, um, the fire sermon. He says, Then the Blessed One, the Buddha, thus addressed the monks, everything, O monks, is burning. And how, O monks, is everything burning? The eye is burning. Visible things are burning. The mental impressions based on the eye are burning. The contact of the eye with visible things is burning. So everything about what the Buddha called the five aggregates, the you know, aggregates of clinging, um, all of our experience is really cover, colored by this, um, by this craving, by um, burning. The eye is burning, visible things are burning. Um, and the cause of the burning is the greed, the anger or hatred, the delusion or ignorance. He goes on to say, the ear is burning, sounds are burning, the nose is burning, odors are burning, the tongue is burning, tastes are burning, the body is burning, objects of contact are burning, the mind is burning, thoughts are burning, all are burning with the fire of greed, of anger and of ignorance. So he says, considering this, a, a, a disciple of the Buddha walking the noble path, becomes weary of the eye, weary of visible things. And he goes through each of those with all of the senses. Becoming weary of all that, one divests oneself, oneself of grasping. By absence of grasping, one is made free. When one is free, one becomes aware that one is free. And one realizes that rebirth is exhausted and, and that there is no further return to the world. So in order to end suffering, we have to end the craving that gives rise to suffering. The craving that the eyes, you know, looking at things that we get attracted to and want and desire, we have to let go of that burning, that clinging, tastes, smells, sounds that we love. Um, you know, whenever there is this, um, this clinging, this craving, this burning, um, there, will be, there will be suffering. And the end of suffering is to, is to abandon, is to abandon the craving, to let go of the craving. And this is in the first week I, I, I spoke about the Buddha's own journey, his search for the end of suffering, of studying with leading teachers and then getting into these very extreme ascetic practices, realizing that that wasn't the way to the end of suffering. Remembering a time in childhood when he'd been 
very peaceful and, and kind of fallen into a deep state of meditation that was very pleasant. Um, and that uh, he asked himself, is there, could this be the path to, to freedom? The path of these pleasant experiences that were not linked to sense pleasures, you know, were not linked to desire. And he said, yes, this is the way. And then he, you know, a little after that, he sits down under the tree of enlightenment. And then there's awakening to the truth about suffering and the end of suffering. And then, as I shared earlier, he ends, finds the end of suffering so that all of the conditions, all of the, um, all of the greed, all of the hatred, all of the aversion, all of the delusion that could give rise to suffering is eradicated. It's, it's dug up, you know, and you know, there are different um, discourses of the Buddha where which speaks about how, how permanent the um, upending of suffering is, you know, in someone who has achieved enlightenment as he, he did. You know, he said, imagine you had a tree with deep roots and you dug up the tree and you dug up all of the roots, every last root, and then you and then you um, and then you burned the tree and the roots, and then you, all you had was ashes. And then you blew the ashes into the atmosphere, you know, into the air. You know, could that tree reconstitute itself again as a tree? In the same way, he asked. And you know, his followers would say, "No, no, there's no way it could just kind of come together, recompose itself as a tree." In the same way, craving clinging, delusion had all been uprooted so fundamentally that there was no basis for them to come up again. So the Buddha, um, the Buddha then was free, free, completely free from suffering, you know, and at least, you know, from what we can tell, there was no, you know, there was no reappearance of, of, of suffering. You know, he taught for 45 years. He shared these thousands of talks that have come down to us, you know, 100 generations later. Um, so this is the what the Buddha called the, the end of suffering, the end of suffering, Nibbana or Nirvana. Um, some of the ways that the end of suffering is described is, um, this is from uh, the... Uh, the reading from what the Buddha taught, which is in the re resources. He wrote this while Polo Rahula wrote this maybe 60 years ago, but it's still a very, very clean and clear um, statement of the, of the core Buddhist teachings. It's not a long book, it's a fairly slim book and, and it's available online and, and it's in the resources. But he says, Reflecting on the third noble truth, he said, it's the complete cessation of that very thirst. Remember, we talked about the, the craving as like as tanha, thirst, thirst. And we know that kind of craving, wanting, you know, giving it up, renouncing it, emancipation from it. So it's a complete eradication, complete removal of craving, the calming of all conditioned things giving up all defilements, extinction of thirst, detachment, cessation, the extinction of desire, the extinction of hatred, 
the extinction of, of illusion or delusion. So this is the, the end of suffering. This is the complete end of suffering that the Buddha, um, the Buddha points to, the Buddha experienced, attained, and um, at the core of his teachings, the essence of his teachings is that nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I or mine. If we don't create an I or mine about around our possessions, our relationships, our views, around spiritual teachings, if we don't create a sense of identification, I or mine, clinging, craving around them, um, then there's freedom. Nothing should be clung to as I or mine. When there's grasping, when there's clinging, when there's craving, there's dukkha, there's suffering. When there's no grasping, no clinging, there's no dukkha. Buddha Dasa, Arjun Buddha Dasa says the practice is to make, yeah, the practice is to make the non-arising of grasping and clinging absolute, final, so that no grasping and clinging can ever return. Just that is enough. There's nothing else to do. Sounds easy, but nothing more to do than end grasping, end clinging, finally. So the end of suffering was the culmination of Siddhartha Gotama's search. It was the realization that ending suffering was possible in this very life by seeing clearly into where suffering comes from, how do we get entangled in suffering and abandoning craving and clinging, not just intellectually, but experientially through our own practice. So, the, so Siddhartha became the Buddha, the awakened one, a fully realized human, the deepest freedom possible in this human life. I just want to share, this again is from Rahula, who's called after this Buddha's son, whose name was Rahula. He begins, he says, in almost all religions, the summum bonum, the highest good, can be attained only after death, but nirvana can be realized in this very life. It's not necessary to wait till you die to attain it. And this is what he says about somebody who has attained nirvana or freedom from complete ending of suffering. I'm changing the pronouns to make it more inclusive. The person, the one who has realized the truth, nirvana, is the happiest being in the world. They are free from all complexes and obsessions the worries and troubles that torment others. Their mental health is perfect. They do not re repent the past, nor do they brood over the future. They live fully in the present. Therefore, they appreciate and enjoy things in the purest sense without self-projections. They are joyful, exultant, enjoying the pure life, their faculties pleased, free from anxiety, serene and peaceful. 
as they are free from selfish desire, hatred, ignorance, conceit, pride, and all defilements, they are pure and gentle, full of universal love, compassion, kindness, sympathy, understanding, and tolerance. Their service to others is of the purest, for they have no thought of self. They gain nothing, accumulate nothing, not even anything spiritual, because they are free from the illusion of self and the thirst for becoming. It could be that that may be a, a, an overly idealized view of awakening. You know, I've, <laughs> I've heard, I think it was Ram Das said, your personality never gets enlightened. <laughs> your personality never gets enlightened. That if you happen to be a, a cranky old bugger, if you could excuse my language, you don't necessarily stop being a cranky old bugger. You're just an in, awakened cranky old bugger, you know? I mean, clearly, you know, I think ending suffering is incompatible with causing harm to oneself and to others. But I think we still maintain our personality, things that we probably have, you know, whatever happens to us. But there's no, we don't, ex excuse me, we don't experience, um, we don't experience suffering, we don't experience craving. And what's also important to emphasize, as I've said at other times, is that it's not all about, it's not all or nothing. You know, it's not we're either fully enlightened or we're fully delusional. It's a path, you know, and typically it's a gradual path. At times it can be sudden. We can have sudden awakenings and that can really clear the, the way, you know, from out of out of a lot of our suffering. But typically the path is a gradual one. It's, you know, day by day, practice by practice, letting go, almost like you know, eroding a stone through water dropping on it. it perhaps in many ways, that's, that's a, a more common path than, than, you know, suddenly waking up, although that certainly does, does, um, does happen, um, you know, on occasions at least. So, to finish off the, this um, sharing um, this evening's teachings, um, just a few reflections that to to link up uh, to link up this kind of somewhat conceptual view of this third noble truth, how we understand this third noble truth, the freedom, um, the end of suffering. One, one point I was, didn't make that I wanted to, which was um, the, the quote from um, Arjun Chah, the great Thai meditation master, who said, let go a little and you'll experience a little freedom, a little peace. Let go a lot and you'll experience a lot of freedom, a lot of peace, a lot of well-being. Let go completely and you'll experience complete freedom, complete peace. Your struggle with the world will be at an end. So we can, you know, it's possible to let go a little in our lives. Probably all of us have experienced ways in which we were caught up in suffering, 
you know, we were clinging to, to something, maybe our views, maybe wanting things to be a certain way, wanting something we don't have. And we found the space to, to let go of the holding, to kind of ease off on that and say, okay, what if I, what if I don't, you know, what if I don't want this thing? You know, what, what if I let go of this? I'm trying to think somebody was sharing that today um, in a session. Um, oh yeah, I, I was meeting with somebody one-on-one -on -one and, and she was sharing about um, Mother's Day and uh, how her daughters kind of going, both going through a hard time. And uh, all she got for Mother's Day was, um, was a text and a late late evening phone call <laughs> and, and she saw all of this suffering you know this this kind of you know couldn't they couldn't they at least you know send me flowers whatever and she saw how you know that was optional you know that 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 her suffering around that was actually optional that she could let it go that she could say okay okay I, I see I'm suffering. I'm wanting it to be different. I'm wanting them to be different. I'm wanting them to be more grateful for, you know, all of that I've done for them for the last 30 plus years. And seeing that, and she said, she really kind of said, I saw that I, that this was really something that you know, I was causing myself suffering. And so I, I, I let it go. And she said, and my husband said to me, you don't seem to be that bothered by the fact that, you know, that they didn't, you know, they only sent you a text, whatever. And she said, she said, yeah, I, I, I realized that, you know, that I don't need to, it doesn't help me to, you know, to, to, you know, to make that into a problem. And, and that's really, you know, that's, you could say that's letting go a little, maybe it could be letting go a lot, you know, if it, if it really goes deep, you know, and one of the things we can see is if we can let go in any situation, it points to the possibility of letting go in any other situation. Because in any situation, the formula is ex exactly the same. It doesn't matter if you're wanting a cigarette or you're wanting, you know, this person, you know, to be behaving differently or this political figure to, you know, cease to do the things that you don't like them doing or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter what's happening or what the thing is that we're getting caught up in. What matters is that we're holding on tight to wanting things to be the way we want them to be. And if we can let go in this situation, whether it's about craving food or drink, it's exactly the same process around our views and opinions. It's just, you know, we may be clinging to a different thing, but it's still the clinging and the craving and the holding that is the place to pay attention. And so any letting go points to every other way of letting go. And the small points to the bigger, if, if it is even meaningful to talk about bigger and biggest and all of that, um, you know, certainly it's relevant if we're, if we're experiencing less, less suffering and more, more freedom. It's, you know, that's that's something um, that's meaningful and something worth uh, worth exploring more. But just letting go points to that larger letting go. And I think what it does for us, it gives us 
encouragement. It inspires us to go deeper and further into the practice. And again, all of this is see for yourself. What do you notice? Does it help you when you let go? Does it help you, you know, does it invite you to let go more deeply? So just this, you know, the basic form, formula, if our suffering comes from wanting things to be different, wanting reality to be different, wanting this experience to be different, wanting what we don't have, wanting to get rid of something we don't like that we do have, then a way to the end of suffering comes from opening to this moment, this experience as it is. So if we can change our relationship to our suffering through our acceptance, so rather than fighting with our experience, you know, through clinging or through aversion or through avoidance, we open to it and we accept. We say, okay, how about if I accept this moment as it is? How about if I accept this person as they are? Maybe I don't like how they are right now. You know, we're like a child throwing a tantrum. You know, I don't like it, you know, if I'm on a, in the store or if I'm, a, you know, on a plane and, you know, the child is screaming and they're not wanting to stop. You know, we're clearly we're wanting that to be different. But right now, this is how it is, you know, and and we can alleviate our own suffering by changing our relationship to this experience. You know, bringing acceptance to the truth. This is how it is. Doesn't mean we don't comfort the child or do whatever we can. We can do all of those things, but we don't we don't get into a, a relationship of clinging or craving with our experience, or if we do, we'll experience suffering. So much of our practice as we do that we do in meditation is practicing that letting go. What is it? How is it to open to this moment, to this experience, rather than resisting it? Does something change when I meet, when I say yes? to this unpleasant feeling or, or yes to this sadness I'm feeling? Does anything change? What shifts? And, 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 and just continuing to cultivate that, that relationship of acceptance. You know, in meditation, a term I like is compassionate curiosity. You know, whatever we're experiencing, can we bring to it, compassionate curiosity, this kindness that is, is commingled with interest, with curiosity. What happens when I meet this moment with compassionate curiosity? And when we bring this acceptance to whatever is here, whatever's present, we see into the emptiness of suffering, that the suffering only has a stickiness, if you like, an unpleasantness to it when we meet it with resistance or with craving or with avoidance. The suffering doesn't have a permanent existence. It only becomes stiff, sticky, unsatisfactory, painful, difficult when we meet it in an unskillful way. So the key is to meet our experience in a skillful way. In, with acceptance, with kindness, without, without judgment. 
Here we go. Here we go. So what I'd like to do is to invite you in the next couple of minutes, if you like, or before the end of the session to share anything that comes up for you, any questions, any, you know, any lack of clarity in what I what I said, you know, that you'd like um, you'd like to share. Please feel free and and share that in the chat. What we'll do is we will um, we will take um, some time now for uh, for getting together with three or so other people and look at the practice, your practice over the last week, particularly focused on the second noble truth, the noble truth of craving as the cause of suffering. Um, and share with the members of the group what you're seeing, what you've seen, what you've noticed about yourself, your experience. Um, you know, I invited you to take an area where you experience suffering, where there's a sense of unsatisfactoriness or resistance or clinging. And ask yourself, what role am I playing in perpetuating this suffering, if any? And what am I clinging to? What am I noticing about that? That's really the question that, that I think is, that is a key question. What am I holding on to whenever there's that situation of, of craving, of wanting things to be a particular way? Am I grasping for something I don't have? Am I believing something about the situation or about a person or myself that's causing suffering? And what happens when you try to change that relationship where rather than holding on, you invite that sense of letting go? Um, and what do you notice when you do that, both in, in meditation and in, in your daily life? What are you coming to see? So what we'll do is we'll take 15 minutes. We'll have about three minutes each, remembering those guidelines or just kind of the framework of those guidelines I shared last week about speech and speaking from the heart and confidentiality, other, other things. Um, Take it in turn, maybe three minutes each person. One person could just keep, keep time just so that, you know, everybody has a chance to share. And then hopefully you'll have a few minutes at the end to go back and forth. And then we'll come back into the uh, full group for any sharing, any, um, you know, any questions, anything that's come up for you. If you'd like to share anything, just how you know, what you've noticed or what, how, the, how the small group was for you, um, questions you might have, anything you'd like to share that would be helpful to share with me and to share with the group. Um, I, uh, there was a, a message from Isabel, but it's actually cut off on my chat and I know you left it earlier. Um, can you, Isabel, um, would you like to, uh, to share it? Um, out loud. Is Isabel here? Hi. Hi. Here I am. Yeah. Hi. So, um, actually, this came up at the breakout room as well. 
and this is this is my the struggle is for me that um, there's a struggle in in not letting go and and letting things be as they are to begin with, you know, an unhappy communication in a relationship. Let's say, for example, and it, there's suffering involved with that. And so then, you know, I think about uh, I'm clinging to this being changed, that I want that communication to improve um, because it's 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 hurtful and it's, you know, it's landing up and being suffering. So um, and, and trying to let it go, I want to replace it with something so that I can be hopeful about a change. And, you know, in, in thinking this through, I could bring loving kindness to myself around this, etc. It's almost the next step after bringing loving kindness. How do you sit, you know, with this situation where you're hoping to affect some change and do it in a way that um, is just, it's not just saying I'm letting go of it, but I need help and, and understanding how to approach it. Great, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it does, and I'm sure I'm sure others have questions of a similar kind. Um, it's really important of of you know in many situations, it's not just a question of okay, can I be okay with this? Um, you know, letting go of my own holding. But there's something, particularly in interpersonal relationships, where, you know, and most of our, I'd say probably much of our suffering is in that area. Um, we're actually wanting wanting something to be different, um, but but in a wholesome way, you know, as you're saying, you know, not like I want this person to change because I want them to think exactly as I'm doing. I want them not to be this or that. That's obviously an unskillful kind of holding and craving clinging but wanting but wanting to have a harmonious kind supportive relationship with a friend a loved one a family member i mean that is that is wise that's appropriate and you know it and i hear your question being okay i can work with my own stuff how do I go to the next stage of like, what, what, what now, what needs to happen? So what I would reflect on, you know, obviously bring, do what all the things that you, you mentioned, you know, self-compassion, loving kindness, any of the, the, the practices that help us to be, to be open, to be accepting, to be, you know, to, to remember our connection with this person um, that we're, we're struggling with. And then to think, okay, what what would be a, a helpful um, way of engaging with this um, with on around this issue, um, you know? And if it's a communications issue, as many of these you know interpersonal things are, um, having some groundwork, some some guidelines for how we have a conversation um, can be helpful. You know, we can do it ourselves. You know, we can think of, um, 
you know, um, Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication, you know, where you make, you observe, you speak to your feelings, the needs that underlie the feelings and requests that come out of that needs with, out of the needs with the aspiration that both or all parties needs can be met. There's a wonderful book um, by Oren Sofa, some of you may be familiar with it, who, who brings together Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication with, uh, with a deep mindfulness practice and, uh, and also um, a, a kind of an experience of working with trauma. Um, and uh, really, really good book. Um, say what you think, think what you say, something like that. Um, but but thinking about how how to have you know how to have the a skillful ways of having the the conversation, whereby we, you know, we really invite each other to speak from the heart, um, not you know, and and Marshall Rosenberg's MVC is one one very helpful framework for doing that. But um, but essentially um, asking ourselves, you know, what 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 would be a kind a wise way of approaching this conversation in a way that the other person can be open, you know, less defended, where I can be open, where we maybe begin by just saying how important the relationship is to each of us, you know, giving, you know, providing a foundation, saying what our intentions are. You know, obviously we can do that for ourselves. Like, what are my intentions in this situation? What is my deepest intention? Is my deepest intention to be right? Or is my deepest intention to be connected, to be in a loving relationship, to be in a good friendship, you know? And, and if we really pause and come back, that deeper, you know, deeper aspiration will be much more significant for us than the than the kind of the immediate thing of like I'm wanting to be right so those would be some of the things that I would um, think about and explore um, you know and there are good frameworks out there and and I like Marshall Rosenberg's and you know bringing mindfulness as well into communications can be a powerful um, powerful practice as well but that's maybe a beginning at least Isabel I hope that's useful thank you yeah Yes, it is. Thank you. And, you know, seeing some of the other questions Sean asked, you know, or said, since becoming a Buddhist, I've had trouble passing the passing the difference between acceptance and apathy. And that's a really important one, because, you know, sometimes people can hear the invitation to acceptance as a kind of passivity, as a, you know, a not caring. Um, and that actually kind of misses the, you know, the essence of acceptance, which isn't, apathy is really aversion, isn't it? It's like a pushing away. It's like, oh, you know, I'm not, it's a not caring. Um, you know, it's, a, it, 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 it's, it's an aversion. Whereas acceptance is, opening fully to, you know, the totality of the experience. Um, and, you know, that question often comes up, you know, in situations where, um, 
you know, somebody's in a, you know, the example of the relationship and I write about in the book of, of uh, somebody in a, in a, an abusive relationship is the instruction or the advice to stay in the abusive relationship and just accept that this is, oh, this is how, how things are. And obviously the answer to that would be no. What we're asking ourselves to accept is like right now, this is the truth, you know, not to be in denial about, you know, what's going on. It's to say, this is, I'm accepting the truth. I'm accepting that this is really painful. You know, I'm accepting that this is how reality is right now. If we're, you know, abusing alcohol or drink or drugs, it could be accepting that we've really kind of hit bottom that we're you know that things that we have nowhere else to go but to to let go or take refuge in a higher power or whatever um so um so acceptance you know is in no way incompatible with and i should say put the probably from a positive standpoint acceptance is completely compatible with making change you know but the change what's important is the change that the change not come from a place of craving or of aversion you know it's to invite the change to come from you know from a from a space of of acceptance of of the truth of what's what we're experiencing um and then you know, once we've, when we have fully accepted, then I think we're in a position to say, I, I really need to, we really need to make a change here. And I really need to acknowledge that we've reached nine o'clock and uh, stop talking. Um, so let me, let's pause, um, we'll pause here. Um, I'll take a look at everything that's, uh, that folks have, have uh, put in the chat, respond if I can, either between now and next week, or some of them maybe when we get back together next week. Um, what I'd like to, in just in one minute, say over for the, take a look at the at-home practice. And this week, what we're really looking at is just taking one area of our experience where we, where we notice suffering rearing its head, you know, in our life. You know, maybe it's something where, maybe it's something that's been there a long time and we really want to take a look at and see if you can identify, you know, here's the suffering, you know, this is how it manifests. See how, if you can see, what, what is my involvement in that, in the suffering? What am I, what, if anything, am I holding on to? What am I wanting? What am I, what am I craving? What am I clinging to here? And by opening to your experience of bringing acceptance in by changing your relationship to the suffering and the craving is it possible to let go you know like with the example that i gave today of the woman who didn't didn't only got a text from her children you know and and immediately felt a kind of resentment or a you know sadness about that but was able to kind of find find the space in that way what are the practices? What are the skills that help you do that? Isabel was mentioning, you know, saying self-compassion or compassion or loving kindness can be a, a, a step to that. And it often is, you know, when we're in a place of suffering, it can be really helpful to come back to ourselves and say, oh, yeah, this is suffering. 
I'm suffering right now. I'm wanting things to be different. I'm struggling with the way things are. So that could be beginning that way. And so the third noble truth, letting go. The fourth, the path to letting go. So um, enjoy the week. Um, enjoy the practices. And we'll come back together next week at the same time for the fourth noble truth, the, an overview of the path to the end of suffering, the noble eightfold path, which will then be going into in, in much greater depth in the fall for those who are interested. So maybe we'll just take a couple of breaths together to finish off. with this short poem from John O'Donoghue. I would love to live like a river flows, carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. I would love to live like a, like a river flows, carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. So have a good week and see you next, next week. Take care.